The greatest story ever told is a true story. It is a story of adventures, battles, kings and queens, heroes and villains, good and evil, history and prophecy. It is your story. Come join the adventure of the Bible story. Chapter 208 Paul's Third Ministerial Journey Paul's deep concern for the brethren launched him into his third ministerial journey. He would soon discover that there was real trouble out there. It was coming from two separate groups. First, the Judaizers had infiltrated the congregations, demanding that the Gentiles be circumcised. Second, Simon Micah had attracted enough followers so that his ministers had begun working to draw God's people into their warped beliefs about the gospel, law-keeping, and sin. Paul dealt with these problems in his letters to the Corinthians and Galatians. 2 Corinthians 11, Galatians 1, 6-9, and 5, 6-12. Eventually, he would come to call these ministers what they were, false apostles. During his time in Antioch, Paul spent many hours telling the brethren stories from his second journey. They were excited to hear about the establishment of congregations in far distant cities. Enjoying being at his home congregation, he was also able to get some much-needed rest However, he could not stop thinking about the welfare of all the brethren he had met. Once fully rested, he began to feel an urgent need to get back on the road again. He chose the day he would leave and asked the brethren at Antioch to pray fervently for the success of this vitally important trip. As he began walking north and west towards Tarsus, Paul realized that on this journey, he would be focused more on teaching and correcting than on establishing churches. He had only spent a short time with the Thessalonians. Timothy told him about their strengths and weaknesses. Paul had written them a letter, but he still wanted to see them face to face. At the beginning of his third journey, Paul took time to visit the congregations in Galatia and Phrygia. This means he visited the brethren of Tarsus, Derbe, Lystra, Iconium, and Pisidian Antioch. While Paul was working in these congregations, something important was taking place to the west in Ephesus. Paul had left Aquila and Priscilla behind at Ephesus. One Sabbath day, this devout couple went back to the same synagogue where Paul had preached before he left the city. The Jews there were favorable to Paul's teaching. In fact, they had not wanted him to leave. This is probably why he had left Aquila and Priscilla there. Aquila and Priscilla listened carefully to the reading of the scriptures. Afterward, the synagogue leader invited anyone to speak words of encouragement to the gathering. 
a friendly-looking Jew raised his hand. He was motioned to the front of the group. My name is Apollos, he said with a warm smile. I was born in the city of Alexandria, Egypt. I'm in Ephesus conducting business. Today I want to tell you what I learned in Jerusalem years ago. I met a man there named John. He was a very effective teacher. Many who knew of him called him John the Baptist. I personally believe this man was a prophet for our time. He prophesied that the Messiah, for whom we've all been waiting, was actually living in Judah. Aquila and Priscilla were impressed with Apollos' speaking ability. This man would be very effective in God's church. Aquila thought. Priscilla looked at her husband and smiled. And Aquila suspected she was thinking the same thing. John taught that we need to repent of our sins and be baptized because the Messiah would restore the kingdom to Israel. Apollos said boldly, I was baptized by this man, but sometime after I left Jerusalem, Herod executed him. The more Apollos spoke, the more Aquila and Priscilla could see that he had a deep understanding of scriptures that the prophets had written about the Messiah. But he did not seem to understand anything about Jesus of Nazareth. They knew he could easily be taught about Jesus. After Apollos was finished speaking, Aquila and Priscilla introduced themselves to him. They invited him to their home, where they proceeded to teach him the way of God more perfectly. Apollos listened carefully, and he believed. The Corinthian brethren came to love Apollos deeply. When he needed to move on to the province of Achaia to continue his business trading, Aquila, Priscilla, and the brethren sent letters of introduction to the disciples in other cities on Apollos' way. They encouraged the disciples to take care of Apollos' needs. On his journey, Apollos stopped at many synagogues and convinced the Jews that Jesus was the Christ, using the scriptures taught to him by Paul's faithful assistance. With the conversion of Apollos, God had added another qualified helper to assist Paul. While Apollos was at Ephesus, Paul was traveling through the inland of Asia. Paul eventually made his way to Ephesus and went to work immediately upon his arrival. It is no coincidence that one of the first groups of Jews Paul preached to at Ephesus were John the Baptist's disciples. Jesus Christ wanted him to help them. When Paul first met them, he asked questions about them. They were apparently devout Jews. They mentioned that they had repented of their sins and were baptized. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Paul asked. We have never heard of the Holy Spirit. The leader of the group responded. Unto what then were you baptized? God's apostle questioned. Unto John's baptism. The leader answered, I am going to teach you some new truth that you desperately need to know. Paul said. The group immediately gathered around him. All paid full attention to what he had to say. Paul explained that John the Baptist had actually prepared the way for Jesus Christ and that they needed to follow their repentance with faith in the Messiah. This small group of John's disciples were amazed and convicted. Please baptize us in the name of Jesus Christ. They asked with one voice. Paul baptized them and laid his hands on their heads. Then the Holy Spirit came upon them 
and Paul heard them speak in other languages. They spoke about the wonders of God and prophesied. This miracle was a great encouragement to Paul. Twelve new converts were made that day. This was an exciting start to Paul's return to Ephesus. then focus on going back into the synagogues of the Jews. In fact, he concentrated on preaching solely to the Jews for three months. He worked diligently to persuade them about the kingdom of God from the scriptures. Unsurprisingly, some of the Jews were obstinate, refusing to believe what the scriptures said. They disparaged the way of God in front of the Jews who believed. So Paul, not allowing the non-believers to hinder God's work, made use of a classroom at the school of Tyrannus. He taught there daily, including the Sabbath, for some two years. This gave him the opportunity to speak God's word to many Jews and Greeks from all parts of Asia. Ephesus was an important trading center, famous for its rich supply of silver found in the mountains near the city. Many people visited because of the huge temple dedicated to the goddess Diana. Having people come to Paul allowed the work in Ephesus to grow rapidly and powerfully. Yet God's apostle would soon have to face some problems too. God performed many special miracles through Paul at Ephesus. Even pieces of cloth that Paul had touched were brought to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits departed from them. This began our modern tradition of sending anointing cloths to the sick. An unusual thing happened around this same time that, as it turned out, helped Paul further God's work. There were some Jews who traveled around from city to city in order to drive evil spirits out of people. When they heard the news about Jesus Christ, they tried to use his name to cast out demons. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were attempting to do this. One day, things did not go so well for them. We command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out of this man. They said loudly in front of a man who was possessed. I know Jesus. I know about Paul. But you? Who are you? The evil spirit said to them. The man who had the evil spirit in him attacked them with such violence that he overpowered them all. They finally escaped their attacker and ran away from the house wounded and without their clothes. These young men were taught a painful lesson. Only those with authority from God may cast out a demon. News of the event spread throughout Ephesus, and it filled people with fear. The name of Jesus Christ was given greater honor. In addition, many believers publicly confessed that they had been experimenting with witchcraft and the magic arts. They brought their books and other magic materials together and burned them in public. Someone added up the cost of these books, and it equaled 50,000 silver coins. 
This event led to the word of the Lord being strengthened and spread far and wide. After spending about three years in Ephesus, Paul decided it was time to travel back through Macedonia, Achaia, and then to Jerusalem. After I go there, I must also see Rome, he told Luke. He then sent Timothy and Erastus, who was also one of his helpers, to Macedonia to prepare the way for him. Sadly, serious trouble broke out for Paul and the disciples before he left Ephesus. It was not started by envious Jews, but by the jealous merchants of Ephesus. A silversmith in Ephesus named Demetrius made small silver replicas of the temple of the goddess Diana and her statue. His business brought a great deal of money to the silver miners and metal workers who worked with him. They were losing business because so many people in Ephesus were becoming disciples and had stopped worshipping false gods. Demetrius called all the workers together, along with others whose work was like his, for a meeting. Men, you know that our business is dwindling lately, he said. And I think we all know why. It's this fellow Paul. He raised his voice in anger. This arrogant Jew says handmade gods are not gods at all. And he has succeeded in convincing many people, both here in Ephesus and in nearly the whole province of Asia. This was no exaggeration. Many people had listened to Paul. Our business is getting a bad name. Not only that, but there is also the danger that the temple of the great goddess Diana will come to mean nothing and that her greatness will be destroyed. The goddess worshipped by everyone in Asia and in all the world. He proclaimed, the temple of Diana was the pride of the Ephesians. It was so large and constructed of so many beautiful materials that it was considered one of the wonders of the world. As the crowd heard these words, they became furious and started shouting, Great is Diana of Ephesus! Chaos spread throughout the city. A mob of angry merchants grabbed Gaius and Aristarchus, two Macedonians who were traveling with Paul, and rushed with them to the theater. This was a frightening situation. Paul, however, was not intimidated. God's fearless apostle wanted to go before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the provincial authorities, who were his friends, sent him a message, begging him not to show himself in the theater. Meanwhile, the gathering at the theater was in an uproar. Some people were shouting one thing and others something else. Most of them didn't even know why they had come together. A few of them accused a Jew named Alexander of being the source of the trouble. He motioned for the people to be silent so he could make his speech of defense. But when the rioting Ephesians recognized that he was a Jew, they all shouted together, Great is Diana of Ephesus! Astoundingly, this frenzied display carried on for two hours. Finally, 
the city clerk was able to calm the crowd. Fellow Ephesians, he stated loudly and with authority. Everyone knows that Ephesus is the keeper of the temple of the great Diana and of the sacred stone that fell from heaven. Nobody can deny these things, so you must calm down and not do anything reckless. You have brought these men here, even though they have not robbed temples or said evil things about our goddess. If Demetrius and his workers have an accusation against anyone, let them take their charges to the authorities and the court. If there's something more you want, it will have to be settled in a legal meeting of citizens. However, realize that after what has happened today, there is a danger that we will be accused of a riot. There is no excuse for all this uproar, and we will not be able to give a good reason for it. After saying this, he dismissed the meeting. By the time this wise city clerk finished, the crowd had calmed down. They left the theater peacefully. When Paul got news that the uproar had calmed down, he decided it was time to return to Macedonia. He had a final gathering with all the disciples in Ephesus. He embraced them warmly and encouraged them to remain strong spiritually. Then he departed. While visiting the churches he had established in Macedonia, Paul strongly exhorted them to remain strong in the way of God. He then moved south into Greece, where he remained for three months. Then he planned to set sail for Syria, but he learned that the Jews had a plot to capture him. So instead of sailing to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. A group of faithful disciples agreed to travel with Paul, including Timothy, Sopater of Berea, Aristarchus, and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius of Derby, Dictychus, and Trophimus from Asia. These men went ahead of Paul, but planned to meet him at Troas. On the way, Paul reunited with Luke in Philippi. The two waited until after the days of unleavened bread, then boarded a ship at Philippi and met their group in Troas five days later. They stayed there for one week. Before leaving Troas, Paul held a social event for the brethren there. He wanted the opportunity to encourage them and say a warm farewell. They met one evening at the end of a Sabbath day, since Paul planned to sail to Assos the next morning. After eating a meal together, Paul began to preach to them. There was so much he needed to say that he preached until midnight. The meeting was held in an upper room on the third story of one of the church members' homes. There was plenty of torches lit so the brethren could see Paul clearly. Then a tragic thing happened. During Paul's message, a young man named Eutychus decided to sit on a large open window. He was a little sleepy, so he thought the fresh air would help keep him awake. However, as Paul continued speaking, Eutychus fell deeply asleep. 
his body slumped over. Then he fell three stories to the ground. The men rushed to help the young man, but he was dead. It was a shocking interruption to an inspiring day. The grieving men brought his dead body into the house, and another ran upstairs to inform Paul what had happened. The apostle immediately went downstairs to where Eutychus's body lay. He knelt down beside Eutychus and took his body up into his arms. Don't be troubled over this. His life is in him, Paul said to the disciples gathered around him. And Eutychus awoke. What an astounding miracle. The sadness turned to tear-filled gratitude and joy. Paul went back to the upper chamber. He ate some more food and then preached until dawn. Then he departed. All the brethren said goodbye to their beloved apostle. Even Eutychus was among them. While everyone was sad to see Paul go, all were overjoyed that Eutychus was alive. Paul set out on foot to walk to Azos, but Luke and the rest of the men boarded a ship that would dock at the Azos port. At Azos, the men took Paul into the ship with them and sailed to Mytilene. The next day, they traveled to Chios. One day later, they arrived at Samos and stayed a while in the city of Trogilium, near that Greek island. Finally, the group of travelers arrived at Miletus. Paul decided not to stop at Ephesus because he wanted to ensure he could make it to Jerusalem in time for the day of Pentecost. At Miletus, Paul requested that all the elders from Ephesus come to meet him. Though he didn't have time to travel to Ephesus, he had some serious and urgent matters to discuss with the ministry. The Ephesian ministry responded immediately and rushed to Miletus without delay. When Paul walked into the meeting room, the elders stood up, showing him their great love and respect. After opening with prayer, he asked the men to be seated. Then he told them the purpose of the meeting. You men know how I lived the whole time I was among you, from the first day I arrived in the province of Asia. He began. With all humility and many tears, I did work even during the hard times that came because of the evil plotting of some Jews. I did all I could to help you as I preached and taught in public and in your homes. He reminded the ministers how he took the gospel to both the Jews and the Gentiles. His eyes teared up as he spoke. And now I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit has warned me that prison and troubles await me. But I reckon my own life to be worth nothing to me. I only want to complete my mission and finish the work that the Lord Jesus gave me to do. Then he told these men, whom he loved so much, that they would not see him again. Some of the ministers' faces grew white. Others' eyes began tearing up. Then Paul gave them a severe warning. He told them that if any of them should fall away from God's truth, it would not be his fault 
because he had not held back any truth from them. Paul then admonished them to keep careful watch over themselves and the people God had put in their care. Every man in the room was stunned by what he said to them, but the most shocking statement was about to come. I know that after I leave, fierce wolves will come among you, and they will not spare the flock. Paul said with a raised voice, The time will come when even some of you will teach false doctrines to lead the believers away. Watch and remember that with many tears, day and night, I taught every one of you for three years. Paul then told these men that he would continually pray for their protection. He reminded them that he had worked to support himself and told them to follow his example, to work hard and support the weak. He reminded them what Christ told him. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul finished, he knelt down with them and prayed. All the men were crying as they hugged him and kissed him goodbye. They were especially sad because they would never see him again. But they should have been far more concerned about what he warned would happen in the church after he left. Luke and Paul said a heartfelt goodbye, boarded the ship, and waved as the ship left the harbor. day of their trip, they passed the island of Kuz. By the next day, they reached Rhodes, and from there, they went on to Patara. While there, they found a cargo ship that was going to Phoenicia, so they purchased passage on that vessel and sailed toward Judea. Paul and Luke sailed so close to Cyprus, they could see the island as they passed by. However, they remained south of the island and continued on to Syria. As the ship moved southeast, Paul stood at the bow with his face set on Jerusalem. The two men went ashore at Tyre where the ship unloaded its cargo. While in Tyre, Luke and Paul found some believers and stayed with them an entire week. These disciples through the power of the Holy Spirit, told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Paul did not worry. He still felt compelled to make the trip. At the end of their week's stay, Paul informed them that he was continuing on to Jerusalem. All the disciples, together with their wives and children, went with God's apostle out of the city to the beach, where they knelt and prayed for him. After saying goodbye, Luke and Paul boarded the ship and the disciples returned to their homes. All continued to pray fervently for Paul and his visit to Jerusalem. The two men, refreshed from their stay in Tyre, continued on to Ptolemais. They stopped there briefly to greet the believers and spend a day with them. The following day, they continued on to Caesarea. There, they stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen as a deacon in Jerusalem. 
By this time, he was an ordained minister, was married, and had four unmarried daughters who could intelligently discuss God's message. Paul and Luke stayed with Philip for several days. During their stay, the prophet Agabus arrived from Judea. He had been looking for Paul. He took Paul's belt and tied up his own feet and hands with it. This is what the Holy Spirit says. The owner of this belt will be tied up in this manner by the Jews in Jerusalem, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles. He said to Paul, Philip and all who witnessed this inspired incident pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. What are you doing crying like this and breaking my heart? Paul said, I am ready not only to be tied up in Jerusalem, but even to die there for the sake of the Lord Jesus. As hard as Philip and Luke tried to convince Paul to stay at Caesarea, he refused. Well then, may the Lord's will be done, Luke said. After spending some time with Philip, Paul and Luke packed their belongings and continued to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea also went with them and led them to the house of a man they had been invited to stay with, Nason from Cyprus, who had been a believer since the early days. When Paul and Luke finally arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received them gladly. Luke wondered how long it would take for Agabus's prophecy to be fulfilled. To be continued in our next episode and continue the adventure by reading the Bible story. Find it under the Resources tab at pcg.church.com.